unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel before the Lord to pray. So, the uh, topic that the Lord laid on my heart um, is... Uh, I was just, as I was meditating yesterday, brought the, the, the concept of covetousness. And I think there's some very surprising things that the Bible has to say on this topic. And uh, reasons why we should really pay attention. Even though it's almost the water that we swim in or the air that we breathe. Let's start with the found, we know that the God gave his founding principles in, in, in the law. He gave it twice. You want to turn with me and uh, Ezekiel 20 is the first time and then Deuteronomy is known as the second law. That's what Deuteronomy means. And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter five, uh, he repeats the Ten Commandments, just a few little differences from Exodus 20, if you pay close attention. Um, he, he's got a, 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 another verse there when he's talking about the day of rest, that you make sure you give that day of rest to your manservant, maidservant, because remember, you were also servants or slaves in Egypt. Uh, but do you know what the last and the tenth commandment is you know the first five have to do with loving God and then the next about loving our fellow neighbor and some of them are pretty you would expect like you whenever you talk to anyone about morality thou shall not kill is like you know the most obvious right and and, and not committing adultery you know breaking your commitment to your spouse is and, and, and sexual immorality, that's, that's used to be quite, you know, uh, foundational, right? Stealing, pretty well everyone agrees that they don't want their stuff stolen. Um, bearing false witness against your neighbor, that, that one, you know, we don't like it. You know, some people almost thinking lie is kind of one of those white gray things but you know scripture is pretty pretty clear on that but that's for another another time the 10th commandment let's read it together it's Deuteronomy 5 21 neither shalt thou 
desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shall thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So we've got these strong, kind of universally accepted bad things about killing, adultery, uh, uh, lying, uh, stealing, coveting. Somehow that hasn't even like made it to anyone thinking there's anything wrong with that. Like it's not on the radar of something that's bad. Our economy is almost based on it. And yet it's in the Ten Commandments. Now, let's go to thing we read what Jesus is addressing the Pharisees who were covetous, but there are at least two lists of people who won't make it to heaven. Does that concern you? Do you want to make it to heaven? Do you want to be excluded from the kingdom? What things are in these lists that the Apostle Paul has said these things? If you do them, you won't make it into the kingdom. Found in, uh, of course, there is, we know Jesus said, you must be born again. And, and we're so thankful that we have this baptism coming up uh, tomorrow and, uh, I mean, next week. And, and certainly without God's spirit, as we heard in the prayer, indwelling us, you wouldn't be able to. In fact, Romans 7, when it talks about how do I know I have a sinful nature inside of me? It's when they read this commandment about not coveting that Paul realized, I have a problem. I can't stop doing this. And now sin is exposed and I realize the bondage it has in my life. But, so, yes, it goes hand in hand. You must be born again, otherwise you won't have the power not to covet. But let's read Ephesians chapter 5. That's where it, we see a list that Paul gives of things that will exclude us from heaven. That should probably get our notice. We read chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Here's the list. 5, verses 5 and 6. But this, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolatry, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God, Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. These people will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. That should, that should merit our attention. This excludes you from the kingdom of God. A whoremonger, someone who who breaks their marriage vows, who visits uh, whores, or unclean person is again talking about that sexual immorality, or covetous man. To covet puts you on this list that you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Maybe we really should take a moment and think about what this means. Corinthians, Paul is dealing, and, and, and we've been studying through Corinthians, um, and Paul's dealing with a lot of church problems, and he's just 
in chapter 5, he's had to go through the ultimate discipline to, to actually exclude someone from the fellowship. Um, in this case, it was about immorality with um, uh, a close relative. But uh, he goes on to talk about immorality in chapter 6 and, and, who, and, and about this. And then he, he gets into, again, a list uh, in verse, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6 about who will inherit the kingdom of God. And who, no, actually, who will not inherit the kingdom of God, to be specific. So I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning to read from verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Again, we saw that warning in Ephesians 5. People will try to claim and gloss over this. Call your conscience. Make it sound like this is okay. But the wrath of God is on these things. Here, be not deceived. There's going to be people who are going to try to deceive you on this. Satan, number one. Neither, so who's the list here? of the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, here again, again, sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, note what month we're in, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Again, um, we've got in this expanded list, we still have one common element, and that's covetousness. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's in both of these lists of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. In the previous chapter, I said it was about discipline. It talks about this again. He says... Um, verse 10 of the previous chapter, yet, you know, he's talking about, uh, you know, in the previous letter, he had written with them not to company, not to, to associate and, and, and be friendly and with fornicators. Now he's clarifying, yeah, not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with the adulterers, for then you must, none must you needs go out of this world. It's, it's not realistic, it's not practical for you not to associate with people who commit fornication and covetousness and, and so on in this world because they don't have the Spirit of God. That's everybody. So that you'd have to leave this world if you're going to not have company with people in this world who have those issues. But now, verse 11, I have written unto you not to keep company if anyone is called a brother to be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. So now being covetous not only excludes us from heaven, it's a reason to break fellowship within the church, to not to, you know, to say, you know, you're not good enough to, 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 to be with us, but to, to tell someone what you're doing is so serious 
we, we want to help you recognize the seriousness. We're going to withdraw socially so you recognize that and repent and return from your sin. So discipline is intended to be redemptive. It's to bring people back into the right relationship with God. And sometimes, with your little child, you have to tell them that's not okay. And you have to introduce some pain in their life, otherwise they'll hear your words, but they don't think you mean it. And the same thing has to happen with the church. It has to be more than words. There actually has to be something. And in this case, it's the social withdrawal to say, this is a problem. You need to face this problem so we can restore you to right relationship with God as well as with us. So I hope that you can see from all these things that this is something the Bible takes really seriously. I mean, you can't take it more seriously for something to exclude you from heaven, to break the Ten Commandments, to exclude you from good, right relationship within the church. Here's another place that Romans talked about. We talked about seven, where Paul was talking about this is how he knew he was a sinner. Um, let's read from 13. Thir Romans 13 is a very practical chapter. He's gone through the foundational doctrines of salvation, and now he's teaching them how to live a good, victorious Christian life. And uh, we read uh, in verse 8 that... Um, Wait, wait, hang on. I, I think I've got the, the wrong place here. Um, it's a little bit further down here. Ah, wrong chapter. 13. I was in 12. 13, verse 8. That's right. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Coming back to the law. Restarted with that. That... Love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus taught that, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor yourself and it fulfills the law. And now he it expands again. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Those five latter ten of the Ten Commandments specifically are about loving your neighbor. It says, if there be any other commandment, all the other commandments, they're briefly comprehended, they're, they're all covered by this saying, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what Jesus said. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, I can, I can see how killing someone is not compatible with loving your neighbor. I can see how committing adultery is not showing love, how stealing and lying, but how is coveting the opposite of loving your neighbor, and therefore it breaks the Ten Commandments, and therefore it breaks fellowship with God and man. Have you ever thought about that? <clears throat> What does coveting do to you? What does coveting do to your neighbor? And what does coveting do to your relationship with God? That makes it so serious. So how does it work, right? What does it mean to covet? You know, we kind of get from the 
context, you're wanting something that someone else has. That's how the, the law, Ten Commandments, spells it out. And it could be all kinds of different things. You know, your neighbor might have, you know, maybe instead of an ox, it's a nicer car. Instead of a house, it's a house. Or, you know, a field, maybe they've got a nicer job. Or they've got a nicer, you know, they, they seem to be able to enjoy some things, vacation, whatever, that you don't have. Or maybe they've got nice skin. Or maybe they're tall or shorter. Or maybe they are gifted. They've got this talent and ability. Man, you know, I wish I could sing like that. Or I wish I could, you know, whatever, cook, speak, whatever it is. There's something that your neighbor has that you feel, it starts off with maybe admiration, but it goes from admiration to it's not fair. That's the problem. That's where it goes from maybe something positive to something negative when we say that's not fair. And because it's not fair, I get resentful. And instead of choosing to be grateful that someone has been blessed with some good thing, I say it's not fair because I didn't get that good thing. And then I start to have resentment towards that person who has the good thing that I don't have. And this starts to, you know, to go from, you know, it get, gets me into worse and worse um, a progression. And, and it affects me. I'm not a happy person anymore because instead of choosing to be thankful and grateful, I'm being resentful. I'm on a self-pity trip. I'm not a, a nice person to be around for myself. My inner thoughts are becoming quite twisted and negative. And this can happen in, you know, our, a close circle where we know each other. And, but like I mentioned earlier, this is, this is how the economy works. Uh, the, uh, the companies who are covetous and want more money know that one way to get it out of you is to make you dissatisfied with what you have. Because if you're content with what you have, which is what the Bible encourages, then you will part with your money. So if we can make you unhappy with who you are, with how you look, with what you have, well, they are going to be motivated to give more money to fix that in ways that won't fix it. And then they can get you in a whole treadmill of getting more money out of you. You know, wow, I went to the gym and I didn't get those abs. I guess I need to do more by this and by that. Or, you know, maybe we were in in Israel and you know there's this there's the, the the tourist hook right you know they 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 take you into an olive you know processing place or the dead sea salt processing and and, and they go into you know you know oh you know your wives are really going to like this you know it's this is going to make them look better it's going to make them you know you make we starts off you're not you're not good enough the way you are we need to fix that Right? We need to cover it up. We need to, you know, and, and you know, that's, that, that works. It makes them a lot of money. Um, 
and this works in how social media works, right? You get on there and it's like, oh, wow, isn't that amazing? And if it would stay that, isn't that amazing? But man, I wish I could have that experience, that look, that life. And this is like scientifically documented. This is a study that shows, you know, people who are on social media get depressed. Because guess what you put on social media? All the best. You don't put up any of the, the problems in your life and people say, wow, that person has an amazing life because we, don't, we only see the surface, right? And then we feel like, I'm not, I'm missing out. And that whole process of coveting, of wanting what someone else has and being unhappy myself with who I am and with the other person, maybe this is now an anonymous person, Maybe it's not in the case of social media, right? But you can see how this whole fuels a sense of dissatisfaction. It's being manufactured, being amplified, being multiplied by the way this world works and the stuff we consume. Whether, you know, you, what you watch and you're at, you know, a movie or whatever is portraying Something that's making you feel like, man, I'm missing out. And that fuels coveting. And that fuels our inner negativity, which fuels a res you know, bad relationship with within, between me and the other person. And you know, it can start off with that, you know, it's like, you know, you don't say anything. It's just in my head. But my attitude comes out. You want to take a person down a notch. You want to, you want to, you want to, you know, make it fair by doing what? Right? But that jealousy, that coveting, that poisons your relationship. Instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, you're sad that someone else is rejoicing because it's not you. And this can get into, you know, a lot of backbiting the scripture talks about in, in Proverbs where we start to talk negative about people because, you know, is it fueled? And that's what I'm asking. It's not always fueled by that. But that's one of the outcomes of this thing that Brother Eric, you know, talked about as we in Second Corinthians, this comparing. The comparing that leads to all those problems we read about in Corinthians, you know, between each other, the, you know, um, the, the totem pole, the, the, you know, ranking. And God didn't make us on some scale that we can rank. God made us diverse. God made us unique. God created us with everyone with a different gift so that we could complement each other and glorify him as this incredibly coordinated uh, body of Christ. And when we take the good gifts that he has given to glorify him and we use it for a reason to, you know, create division and negativity and resentment, that's... It's totally, you know, listening to our enemy. That's not going to be a coordinated body, right? And so we need to start off in our minds. Am, am I ha comparing? Am I 
being resentful, am I not being grateful, before it comes out in my attitude towards a person, in my words, not only to the person, but behind the back of that person, in, in actions. The, you know, another scripture we have about um, <clears throat> Kavane was where in the Old Testament, Micah, he was addressing the priests who were covetous and they were scheming. They, were, they wanted someone's good piece of land and they found ways to dispossess people of that, right? And, you know, in the worst cases, you know, there have been cases, you know, where maybe people are scheming. They want this position in the church. And, you know, so if we can, uh, you know, get this alliance or get, you know, this person's reputation ruined or whatever, it's, it's pretty sad. It's really sad when, when, you know, we, instead of supporting each other, tear each other down. That, that, that's not godly right? That's coveting. And we can see how that, you know, is a serious thing. To start off with something that was just like, maybe natural. I see something, I like it. And it ends up coming out in very ugly ways that we need to make sure we don't allow that spirit to fester and produce this ugly fruit in, in, in our lives. And what does it do to God? What is it saying to God? Because it's ultimately against him that we're complaining. We might say the problem is that, you know, good-looking or talented or prosperous or whatever, blessed person, but we're saying to God, you're not fair. You are not supplying my need. You are not, well, but is it about need? <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> it's not about need. Coveting is rarely about need. Man, I wish I had a bite to eat. You know, usually, you know, we're, we make sure those needs are covered, and God has promised those needs will be covered. Uh, but we are basically choosing not to be thankful to God. We're choosing not to, to, to trust God and believe that he is going to supply, that he has a purpose for us, that he has made us just right for the purpose he has to glorify him. And when we want to be someone else than we are, we're frustrating God's purposes. We're frustrating ourselves. We're frustrating the people around us. Instead of being grateful for who we are and how God has made us and how uniquely he has given us the abilities. And, and, and be, as we frustrate God's plan, we're not believing God, we're not thanking God, and we're not following God. We're not following his plan for our life. We're not happy with his plan for our life. We're not looking at his plan for life because we're too busy looking at what we're missing out in someone else's life. Right? And so we can see that something that says innocuous is serious and that's why God has put it in the scripture right there in the top ten right there in the list of things that that cut us off from our hope of eternity and from the closeness of our fellowship with each other and so this thing about you know uh, the answer in the scripture 
You know, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. If my focus isn't on what other people are having and enjoying and doing, but rather on what God has given me and has blessed me with, and he's, you know, opportunities he's given me to use those blessings to bless others, I have a different weather inside of me. All that negativity is gone, and I am focused on God, and I'm content. I don't need the latest gizmo or, or crow or, you know, gimmick or whatever it is to enhance or to catch up with someone else. I am content with what God has given me, and I'm allowing God to work through me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Brother Eric preached recently about life of Paul, right? And it, he went through a lot of trial and heartache. And yet he wrote from a prison cell, mind you, in Philippians chapter 4, that I have learned in every state therewith to be content. I've learned how to abound and have plenty. I've learned how to abase and have little. And I've learned to be content with that. The up and the down. And I think there's a lot to learn from that that we can get out from the manipulation of the enemy of our souls. I think we have to recognize what's really going on here. We're being manipulated. We're being deceived. We're being distracted and deviated from God's blessed way he has made for you into ways that are harmful for ourselves, those around us, and, 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 and hurtful to God. The answer is simple. If we keep our focus simple, if we choose the attitude of gratitude, and we can choose godliness with contentment, which is indeed a far greater gain than anything Satan wants to make you think or me think that we're missing out on. And the Lord bless his word. It wasn't a particularly Father's Day message, but as I reflected, I think the message was appropriate, is appropriate for Father's Day. It's a message from our Heavenly Father. You know, when, our, when my children receive gifts, when they get something, when one of them gets something, the pretty much immediate reaction of the other ones is, but what about me? What do I get? Poor little blighters there, just like you and me. They're looking at concerned about themselves. What am I going to get, Daddy? You know, if, if we as parents just made sure that we gave all the physical things all exactly the same, every time one gets one thing, the other one gets the other thing, and you know, we actually would not be very good parents. It's as we know each of our children individually, as we individually meet their needs, their deeper needs, not just for the toy and the thing, that we become better parents. Parents more in the shape and the form of our godly Father.
And that's really what, what it's about this morning. That's what covetousness is about. It's really saying, Father, you're not good. You're not good to me. What about him? What does he have? Why does he have that thing and I don't have it? Whatever it may be, whatever form it takes, material, even down to things like our health. Let's trust our good, good Father this morning. The, one of the scriptures that the brother alluded to at the end of Philippians concludes like this. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And this is the gift that we've all received the same, that we're all equal in, and that our hearts should be founded on the gift of Jesus Christ. That's how we know he is so good. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. With that, we conclude this morning's service.